Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. Hello, hello, hello. Anna Vocino is back today as the guest co-host, and today we're going to be talking about what to do when everyone else is in a bad mood. And we're going to talk about our strategies, holding space, the bad mood, three types of business, not letting it define you, being vulnerable, and fixing things. So go ahead and take a listen to our conversation, and I will circle back with you once the conversation's done. Thanks for listening. Anna Vocina is back, and we're going to talk about what to do when everyone else in your house is in a bad mood. Anna, hello there. Hi. (laughs) <laughs> so what, what do you what do you do? What do you do? What do I do? Um sometimes I leave. <laughs> that, that's good. I was just going to say you can always leave. I leave. Some, Check out for a little while. Sometimes I put boundaries up of this is I either leave the room, right? I sometimes I leave the house. Sometimes I leave the room and I say that this is what I need to do right now. I need to go take care of me. Um or sometimes I do say depending with my kids um, I will have them go step outside the front porch and say, be responsible with the energy you bring into this space. Oh, that's really good. Do they, do they do that? Do they mind you? They will go, but there's a lot of angriness. Are they like, huh, whatever. <laughs> I had a couple of meetings this morning. I came home before I did my first show and uh, there was all this drama about who has to unload the dishwasher. Mm. <laughs> right. As there should be. Because <laughs> it's such a hard job. <laughs> And we've talked about this last time. Really, ten minutes, maybe max. And my daughter was really upset, and, and I just it takes it takes three to four minutes. <laughs> Let's be honest. Okay, to unload a dishwasher. It took ten minutes to get her to unload the dishwasher. <laughs> oh, and then three minutes to actually do the unloading of the dishes. But yeah, that bad mood thing, and you know, it's interesting because I think with them, it's this idea that if I'm sulky enough people will leave me alone. What do you yeah. think? Yeah, for sure. For sure. But, or, you know, if you get cranky enough, people will leave you alone because mm-hmm. when you're sulky, at least you're quiet. When you're cranky, <laughs> you're more vocal and you're more of a pain in the ass to be around. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. I feel like if you, if you bark at somebody, if you get barked at, at least that's definitely for me. I'm like, I shut down. I'm like, all right, well... That was fun. <laughs> See you later. But um, yeah, there, it's interesting because like, I, you know, you come home sometimes and you, you're feeling good and mm-hmm. and then you're met with the, the crank fest, whether it's from your kids or your spouse or whoever, which everyone's, everyone's entitled to their emotions. <laughs> I'm just saying that that's like, a, that's a reality thing. Like nothing is uh, permanent. Even your great mood. <laughs> so milk it as long as you can. Everybody's entitled to your emo- their emotions, but they need to be responsible with how they choose to displace them. Yeah, that. 
And I think with, I mean, with our teenagers, right, we both have teenager daughters. I think that is challenging because they're learning how to use their voice. They're learning how to go from this childhood to somebody who has an opinion. And so they're swinging on this pendulum and either being on this side aggressive or on this side as really passive. And as they figure out their own footing on this, I think it'll get better. But I also find this with adults, they have a hard time. Yeah. And teenagers too are dealing with an influx of hormones that are like taking crazy pills. (laughs) I remember it. I remember how difficult it was. I remember just having such mood swings and not knowing how to manage any of it. Mm -hmm. And and it took me, I think like, because I went to boarding school. So you're around your friends all the time in high school when you're at boarding school. And I remember, you know, being, that was my, my boundary. It's like, if I alienate my friends who are way easier to get along with than my mom or dad were. (laughs) If I alienate my friends, then I know I'm really like pushing it. Mm -hmm. Like that was my first indication of going, oh, I need to dial it back a little bit. Mm -hmm. But, you know, now having, I've tried to be understanding now having the teenage daughter, try to be understanding of that. But it's like, (laughs) it's crazy. We did some uh, driving practicing this morning. Oh, which uh, for the most part, I'm pretty good. I try not to like raise my arms above like waist level. You know, you want to raise your arms and like grab onto the car and be like, ah! <laughs> but I try not, I just try to like raise them a little bit and not be so jumpy. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's Los Angeles and we're driving around kind of a crazy place here. And it's like, I don't even remember the, the game show. I think it was a game show, video game called uh, Paperboy or something like that. Where it's just, it's like a frogger. Like everything is like just <laughs> jumping out at you and you're just trying to get past it. So there was one point I think where she got really flustered with the the signal thing and it wouldn't cut off. And so she kept trying to cut it off and it would go the other direction. And she kept trying to cut it off and it would go the other direction. So she was more focused on turning off the signal than the fact that she was driving in two lanes at once. <laughs> <laughs> And so, you know, it was, it was good. She kept it together and I kept it together, but that was definitely one of those moments where I could tell, like, we could both just start screaming at each other. So how'd you keep it together? I don't know. I just shut up. Most of the time when the household is in a bad mood, if you will close your mouth and not try to engage or say anything, because you're not going to solve the problem from that place. You're not going to like, if somebody else is in a bad mood, you're not going to say, you literally are not able to say anything to them to change their mood, to make it better. You can't. <laughs> I like your idea. You get out of there. You can, you can like calmly call them on it, mm-hmm. but it, you know what I mean? That's not what it needs time. It has to shift. They have to shift it. They have to do the work. Just like we know we have to do the work. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So like, don't, 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 like me yelling at her would have made it so much worse and, and we're driving. Yeah. And it's so easy to start that yelling. So easy. It, to Just as we think that, oh, <laughs> this will solve it. I make that mistake a lot. <laughs> right. <laughs> it doesn't work. It never, I, I challenge anybody out there to come up with a situation where you try to come at the, a negative mood. And you bark them into feeling better. You, you, you won't do it. Mm-hmm. It cannot be done. It defies the law of everything. 
So, you know, it's so funny. I'm just going to be honest here. As you were talking about, well, I just, you realize that the best thing to do is to zip your mouth. I'm like, oh, like shame came over me. It's like, oh, <laughs> see, I had the I wrong. We all do it. I mean, we all have our <laughs> hot button things where we engage and we know we shouldn't. And you're, you know, like, oh, here we go. It's on now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I like to be have the right answers and do it the right way, but that's perfection and I'm not perfect. So, <laughs> yeah, well, like, for example, here's a really good example. My husband and I can usually sense what mood we're in before we even walk in the room. Mm-hmm. That's what happens when you live with somebody for 17 years. And but sometimes I'll be just kind of oblivious. And we like to go on walks together. We like to walk the dog together. We like to go on long walks together. That's one thing we enjoy doing together. So. I won't realize he's in a bad mood and he will say, hey, let's, let's, do you want to take the dog for a spin? Yeah, let's go. And then it's about 10 minutes into the walk where he's not feeling like his regular chatty self and I'm figuring it out. And then I feel trapped because I'm like, hey, you tricked me into going on this walk with you and you're not even, you don't even want to chat. <laughs> <laughs> you tricker. And, um, and it's so funny because then that's when I have tried to be like, well, first of all, I try the, uh, well, you know, it's like, you know, you have to feel better and that's important. <laughs> Whatever. That doesn't work. And then you try like the barking thing or the calling them out thing. Nothing. It doesn't work. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work. He has to choose to feel better. So when, when he's not feeling better, what are you trying to do? It took me years to figure this out, but I, I literally just had to shut up. Mm -hmm. so, Change subject to something completely innocuous or don't talk at all. Mm -hmm. Just It's okay to be quiet and walk. And, and would that be like holding the space so instead of fixing it for him and trying to be like, oh, you can't be in a bad mood? Yes, because what happens is if I try to fix it, I'm using air quotes, fix it, you know, because like I'm, I'm assuming there's something wrong. I'm, there's not anything wrong. He's just not in a good mood. I want him to be in a better mood. That's it. Nothing wrong. And um, it's just that my perceived, oh, don't be in a bad mood. You should be in a good mood because I just feel better when you're in a good mood. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just my conditional thing, right? Mm -hmm. So, but if he is digging his heels in, he's got the stronger mood. And I generally then will come down to to his mood. And I don't want to, I want to bring him to where I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so what was the question? <laughs> well, so it, the, him being in a bad mood, right? If you hold the space, you use oh, zip holding the mouth. space. Yeah. Yes. Zipping the mouth does hold the space. So if you don't want him to like tether, be tethered at his mood, you got, you want to hold the space of the good mood. You generally have to shut up. Mm-hmm. Because he who has the strongest mood wins. And don't you think? Because if you're in a super good mood, mm -hmm. they will, and you really are solid in it, mm -hmm. they will step up mm -hmm. and have fun with you. Mm -hmm. Even the cranky teenager <laughs> who you thought for sure didn't love you anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean, though? Uh, yeah. and, and he who is the crankiest and really lodged in it generally rules the roost. Whoever's got the strongest mood rules the household. 
Yeah, well, because it's it's if they're going to dig their heels, right? I mean, mm-hmm. especially because I have a belief of you're not the boss of me. Let right. me be where I am. And so if we let them be where they are and go, okay, my happiness is not dependent on if you're happy or not. I can be happy here, be with you, and you can exactly. be unhappy. And I can hold the space, but I don't need to come in and fix you. I don't need to make it better for you, or I don't need to take your pain away. Right. That's a lot of personal work to do, isn't it? Well, yeah, because we're so used to saying you have to feel better so that I can feel better. I don't like the way your mood is. <laughs> I don't like your your behavior when you're cranky. I feel so much better when you're not being cranky. <laughs> and it's it's not that it's it's not that you're wrong. It's just that if you really, you're like you said, if you're really taking responsibility for your own feelings. So have you, I don't know if I've told you about this. So Byron Katie has this thing called three types of business and I've modified it a little bit, but there's three types of business in this world. There's your business, there's my business, and then she calls it universe or God. And that can be a whole trigger right there. So I just call it the weather's business. And, <laughs> and one of the things that she talks about is, so I always explain to my clients, like the weather's business. Yesterday, it was 106 where I live. And you were talking earlier that it's hot down in LA. Mm -hmm. San Francisco was cool last weekend. But there's nothing we can do about the weather, right? That's the weather's business. It's going to do what it's going to do. Like, I'm always astounded when people complain about it being hot. Like, I live in a hot part of California. It is what it is. So to think that it shouldn't be 100 degrees or more, it's only going to cause you pain and suffering because that's the facts. Yeah. That's just the facts. But we get into the weather's business. And so when we're in the weather's business, who's taking care of your business? Because being in your business is a full-time job. So right. my, my favorite explanation of that is, uh, remember Married with Children with Al Bundy? Yep. So oh, yeah. There was Love this that show. great episode where Al Bundy was too cheap. to Something was wrong with their AC system. And I don't know if it was broken or they needed a new one. But anyways, he didn't want to spend the money. So he took care of his business. So instead of thinking it should be different than it is or the AC machine shouldn't have broken, he said, okay, I want to be cool. And my family want, I want my family to be cool. So they went to the grocery store, sat down on the chairs that the grocery stores used to sell at that time yep. and drank drinks and they were cool, right? So that's him taking care of his business. He wanted to be in a cool place. His current environment didn't have it. He went and found it someplace else. Right. Versus complaining, which we so often do, about what other people's business or the universe or the the weather or politics or the traffic of LA. There is just traffic in LA. What are you going to do about it? Right. (laughs) Yeah. Move from LA. But so taking care of your business is a full time job. And that's where when we go into like, our households of, you know, what to do when everyone else is in a bad mood. That's why I said, even though later I was like, oh my gosh, that was the wrong answer. But that's why I said, sometimes I'll leave. Maybe I leave the house and I go to the grocery store, or maybe I go back into my room or into my office and be like, okay, they're grumpy out there. I'm feeling pretty good. How can I take care of myself? Because right now I, I don't want that energy to come into me, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. I think that's great. You you have to, I and, and you always leave, you know what I mean. You know when you're like, oh, I'm not in the mood to go to the thing, whether it's the meeting or the workout or the 
coffee or the thing or whatever it is. I'm not in the mood to go to the dinner. And you always, by doing something else, you change the energy up and you always feel better. Mm-hmm. So I think it's good. Go to the grocery store, you get something done, and then you come back and there's a there's better household waiting for you. And usually with teenagers, I mean, their mood swings so fast. That's least, true. <laughs> right, that it, That's it, true. You never know. They all, all of a sudden may be like the third grader when you come back <laughs> and happy right. and jolly. Right. <laughs> You're like, okay, I can roll with that. But I really like Jill Bolte-Taylor who says, I've had her on my show before and she talked about being responsible with the energy you bring into the space. And that I think is just as important. And so I now knowing that try to practice that, but I can still Mm -hmm. be in a bad mood, but it doesn't mean I need to assault the people that I live in the house with. I mean, it does happen to trust me. I'm not perfect by any means. You're not? No, I'm not perfect. I thought you were perfect. (laughs) Not perfect. Nope. Nope, nope. Make lots of mistakes. Well, <laughs> that's all right. I don't make any mistakes. <laughs> Kidding. These are just jokes. And yeah. the other thing I think that's really important when we talk about, you know, what to do when everyone else is in a bad mood. This week I had a client who was really, really frustrated because um, she was at work getting blamed for a lot of things by the CEO. And she got to the point where she's like, I've, I've never failed like this before. Never failed. Mm, and interesting. She, she defined what he was doing as her ability to do her job. So we had to take a look at that. And when we really looked at it, she realized he, it was maybe he was in a bad mood. He was taking out on her because when we went factually, mm-hmm. the, the situations that occurred had nothing to do with her. You know, the fact yeah. that there were 12 to 14 no-shows, that wasn't, that's clients that didn't show up. That wasn't part of her job. Right. Right. They just chose that they didn't want to come to the event. Okay. Right. I mean, when you make a movie and people decide not to buy tickets, that's part of what happens. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. <laughs> what can you totally. do? So, but she was really defining. And I think that's the other thing about what to do when everyone else is in a bad mood is not to let it define you. Yeah, that's, that's the hardest thing. Cause I think too, when, you know, when we're little and our parents get in a bad mood, we, we internalize everything. Mm-hmm. Little, little sweet narcissists that we are, mm-hmm. but you know, it's part of it. And we, we can sometimes really internalize that and like create some serious neuro pathways mm-hmm. <laughs> surrounding like, oh, when mom's in a bad mood, it's definitely my fault. Mm-hmm. And then we engage in all sorts of patterns mm-hmm. that might not serve us. Yeah, we learn how to be approval whores. Yeah, we do. <laughs> and it's so interesting because like that whole blaming thing, right? And I can, I can be just as big of a culprit. But that whole blaming thing, when you realize that blame is rooted in shame. And so when we go and try to find fault at things, that just shuts people down. It doesn't help like if there's a problem to be solved, it doesn't help solve it. Yeah. Right. Sometimes people will approval whore themselves because that's one of the shame shields to m- try to make people happier. But so it's a I, facade. I won't feel ashamed if you approve of me. Is that what it is? Yeah. Like I won't feel it, but it's really kind of like a band aid, but there's a pretty severe bleed. So, you know, you, the band aid's not really working. Right. Yeah. 
And so then, so wait, what, how, what does blame have to do with shame then? It's rooted, Explain that one. Blame is rooted in shame. When we blame other people, we're mm-hmm. in this shame state. Let me see if I can give, um, you know, when we're trying to find fault in others, it's like, oh, what well, was it? My fault. It was your fault, right? Let me blame you. So it's rooted in shame of maybe, uh, how can I? Uh, I don't want to be wrong and have failed. I don't want to be wrong and have failed or... I'm I I'm afraid you're not going to love me anymore. So let me come after you and say, look at you. You're doing all these things. Mm, right. Mm-hmm. I'm not because shame is the voice of you're not enough. And then there's fear that's tied to it of not being be- not belonging and having connection. So shame is a very corrosive thing. We don't talk about it a lot. I mean, I talk about it a lot, but we don't talk about it a lot as a society because it's this right. like, you know, it's the pink elephant in the room that or the black elephant in the room that nobody wants to talk about. Right. Right. But the great news about being feeling shame is that if you feel shame, you're not a sociopath. <laughs> so that's good yeah. news. <laughs> yeah. But sociopath doesn't feel what? Shame mm-hmm. or guilt? Mm-hmm. Doesn't it, yeah, it doesn't feel it. So when you feel shameful, you're now gonna sit and you're gonna have because shame sits in the seats with comparison, scarcity, and judgment. Right. So now you're gonna judge other people, and that's what blame really is. It's judging and attacking other people. It's it's me going into your business so I don't have to look at my own, right? Think about your own lives and like, you know, the just the people in your life. How often are people like meddling in other people's business instead of like, hey, let's look into my own business. What is it that I want to do? You know, what are the things getting in the way? Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. So wait, I want to go back to the sociopath thing though. <laughs> Because don't sociopaths blame other people? Like they never take responsibility for themselves or is that a narcissist? Oh, I don't know. Let me see. I don't know. I'd have, I don't know enough about that. Um, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then if you have these patterns with the folks in your household, mm-hmm. that I can see how things would get sour mm-hmm. with a relationship. Mm-hmm. Because nobody wants to own it and say, look, I messed up. I mean, yeah. I had to do that a couple weeks ago. We were at a swim meet and a parent came up to me and was saying something about a technical aspect of their daughter. And at the, I messed up. Here's where I messed up really was he was trying to talk to me as I was trying to teach another child how to do something. So I wasn't totally present in this conversation. And mm-hmm. he told me about his daughter who wasn't my athlete and something she did. And there was a little voice in the back of my head that was like, that could be correct. But I just went with it. I was like, okay, I'm not going to, I, because I, I, it's not a skill set that I teach. And I'm like, right. oh, okay. And, um, you know, I listened to him and then I moved on and I went back to teaching the kid. So my first mistake right there was not having the boundary to say, um, I'm interested in what you have to say, but right now I'm working with a kid. Can we circle back to this? Or the other thing I could have said was, you know, so-and-so is your child's coach. Can you go seek them out about this? Mm-hmm. Right. But instead, I was trying to take care of a kid and take care of him as well. That's what that's what started this downward spiral. Right. Then, like, I don't know, a few hours later, I was talking. Then everything got muddy yeah. and then you get in trouble. Yeah. Well, a few hours later, I was sitting there was talking to my husband and then our head coach. And I said something and the head coach used to be a backstroker and they both were like, that's correct. So the nine year old was correct. I'm like, oh, and part of me is like, man. I just, can we just sweep it under the rug? I don't want anybody to know. This parent's going to think I'm an idiot, right? But instead I said, okay, Corinne, you just own it. You didn't know. You've never taught it that way. It's a more high level skill set. But 
So when the father walked by, I told him, I said, well, these two said I was incorrect. There you have it. And then later on, you know, I owned it throughout the weekend. I just did. What can I do? Right. That's it. I owned it. And it doesn't feel very good. But I stayed in my own business and I owned it instead of, oh, what's he going to think? You know, am I going to lose Well, that's the thing. That's the whole reason why it doesn't feel good is Mm because you go, oh, no, what if they think I'm stupid? What Mm -hmm. if they think I'm terrible? What if they think I'm not good? What if they think, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. When really, if you go, well, who cares? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Then you go, oh, okay. That's how you get over it. And I mean, I could have not owned it and I could have blamed him because I would have been in shame. Here's an example of shame. I would have been in shame of, oh, my gosh, I'm a fraud, right? Which is the same Mm -hmm. as you're not enough. I'm a fraud. Let me blame him for distracting me. I still made the choice to talk with him. I own that part. I'm not going to blame him. Oh, that's true. That's a good mm-hmm. point. Yeah, you could have been like, well, if you hadn't distracted, I know that's true. Mm-hmm. If you hadn't distracted me, then I would have been able to tell that to you. That's an example of how mm. blame is rooted in shame. Very interesting. But because I've done a lot of work and I'm not perfect, as we've noted several times on this <laughs> conversation, is that because I was able to just sit there compassionately and just go, okay, I own it. I mean, there were several processes going on. I want to be authentic. And right. here we go. I'm just going to own it. I'm not blaming. He can judge me, but I'm not going to take that on. Right. I don't have to be perfect. I mean, this is, I, I probably say that to myself at least 10 times a day. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. But so, that's really good. I mean, gosh, it's funny. I'm thinking about it from a marriage standpoint, too. Mm-hmm. About how easy it is to just sit there and blame each other until you just hate each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> no, and that's why you have to be really, really careful with blame because it's, it's shame is corrosive and it grows and it festers and it loves secrecy. And so that's why it's so important, like not to blame and, you know, that also to stick with what are the facts, right? right? And then like just with that whole scenario that I described, as I could sit there and watch it, I mean, and there was a process, I don't even know how long, but maybe it was a couple of hours, but I owned it and I owned it for the rest of the day. I'll continue to own it. Right. And that's also me saying, okay, well, see, after, I don't know, 30 some years in the sport of swimming, I learned something new. Right. Yeah. I don't have to know everything and it doesn't make me a bad swim coach. Right. Right. And a nine-year-old knew something. I mean, shoot, a couple of weeks ago, I learned something from one of our five-year-olds. She used a different terminology that we always teach about dives, you know, racing starts and we always teach go head first, head first. I mean, so I've been in the sport since I was eight years old. I'm 43. You can figure out the math there. I think, mm-hmm. I think that's 35 years, but I can't remember. But um, and so Emily came up to me one day and she said, did you see my dive? And I said, yeah, you went head first. She goes, no, I went fingers first, just like my coach Maddie taught me. And again, the old me who had had the fixed mindset would have been like, oh my gosh, no, this is what we do. Let me show, you know, these and and discounted the other. But because my ego is not involved, I was like, wow, I just learned something new. And I learned it from a five-year-old who learned it from her coach who's my employee. How cool is that? Right. That's great. But blaming, you're right, blaming is really corrosive. And I've I've watched it play out and I can be a part of it too, but it's just destructive. So if we can step out of the blaming, whether it's with our kids or with our spouses or our partners or our family and go, okay, what are the facts? You know, what is it? What is it that we want? What's the problem that needs to be solved? Right. Right. That's good. You're good. (laughs) 
or or I've just really messed up and I've had to do a lot of work. <laughs> well, yeah, I've had to really well, we learn all this. Have. I mean, you know, who doesn't have to do a lot of work? Who's got it all figured out? If anyone listening has it all figured out, will you please message us? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Let us please know. tweet us and say hashtag I've got it all figured out. Well, and I think that's like, you know, was, I had a meeting this morning, I was really walking out of the meeting and I just, and the parent was really struggling with their child who's a teenager. We're all in this teenage mess. And I just said, look, I get my butt kicked daily in the parenting arena. Daily. Yeah. It's just what, it's just the part of it. And, yeah, and it I is. think if we can just own that and just realize that's the process, yeah. there's less drama to it then thinking it shouldn't be that way. It's kind of like the weather. I mean, yesterday everybody was making this right. big to-do. Like I remember on, what's today? So on Wednesday, my coach was like, oh my gosh, it's going to be 105. I'm like, oh, I don't even, like I don't pay attention to that. When I get to the pool, I look for shade, right? So I did uh-huh. bring my swimsuit so I can jump in the pool for a little bit. But w- the weather's going to be what the weather's going to be. So I just accept it. And right. I learned how, again, like Al Bundy, how can I take care of myself with that given circumstance? Right. And the weather's way easier. I mean, it's not a big trigger versus a teenage daughter because I will yeah. think my teenage yeah. kids need to be like X. <laughs> right. And that's very troubling. Well, I mean, and why do teenagers even make us freak out most of the time? Like we know, we know logically they're going to be moody SOBs, me being the B, and they're going to be you know, we know they are the way they are. And yet we're just like, whenever they display that, somehow there's like a little bit of terror that I feel like, oh no, what if she doesn't turn out okay? <laughs> that's the fear. And it's all my fault. Mm-hmm. And then that's the fear yeah. and the ego, right? And mm-hmm. so that's why parents will so overcompensate for stuff because it's like, well, see, I'm being a good parent. I'm doing all right. And let me take away your pain. And the other side, like what I t- try to work with parents on is that it's about how can we raise hopeful children who are resilient? How right. can you teach them that they may feel anxiety or they may feel discomfort? And how can they learn how to move through that? Because let me see, when you go on auditions, are you walking in every audition totally jolly or are you feeling vulnerable? Both sometimes. It depends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and so it's about learning like vulnerable vulnerability is uncertainty, emotional exposure, and risk. And so often, like, we want to believe that we are supposed to live in the promised land, that we are like, oh, no, we don't want vulnerability because that's, that's uncomfortable. I mean, who, I mean, I don't like any of those things. Uncertainty, emotional exposure, and risk. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I live my life armored up and wanted total certainty and wanted to avoid as much risk as possible. Right. Right. But the beautiful things in life come from when you're willing to go through that, that gateway of vulnerability. Right. You know, it just sucks going through it. Because then, you know, because for me, I don't know about you, but for me, it's that failure, which is that shame, like, you know, losing face, not being perfect, being perceived by others, being judged by others. Right. Oh, yeah, it's scary. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so as parents, you know, or spouses, you know, or family members or friends, we're like, oh, let me take away your pain. And I'm more like, okay, let them feel it and know that this is okay. Right. And how can you move through it? Yeah. No, I mean, and we've all witnessed the kids whose nests are way too feathered Mm -hmm. because their parents literally don't want them to feel any sort of pain Mm -hmm. or contrast. And then it just like, it clouds everything. You just can't have a relationship 
<laughs> with those people because you're like, mm. mm-hmm. Yeah, and then the other thing that like, happens like when people go into vulnerability too is they don't want that and then they will attack and, and be, blame others. Because it's like, mm-hmm. wait, why are you doing this? I want to just sit over here and drink my blue drink and sit on the beach in this promised land. Right. You know, but the reality is, is that the promised land, like there are parts of our life that are the promised land. And then there's parts of our life, you know, where we're getting things done or right. where things aren't happening the way that we want. Right. And do we have the resilience to move through it? Right. I mean, sometimes you don't have a choice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you. Wow. This you're making me think. (laughs) Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good. It's all good. Mm -hmm. It's um, it's funny because I I have a friend who, my husband and I were constantly like amazed at how oblivious she is and how she has trained herself to no matter what protect how she feels Mm -hmm. and now granted she doesn't have a family Mm -hmm. but she has an extended family you know what I mean it's Mm -hmm. not like she's not around people but she is so good about doing that we both really admire her like how she will just be like she and and she's also so very forgiving and accepting and loving of being around people, mm-hmm. which is probably why people always want to be around her. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because she's always like, "Yeah, whatever. You're mm-hmm. in a bad mood. I don't care. I'm still going to feel good no matter what." Mm-hmm. So I'm always like, "Hmm, that's a good example." So when you say she's oblivious, she doesn't take on other people's energy. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good skill to have. I mean, uh, for, to an outsider, it would seem like she's oblivious. Uh-huh. I know she's not because we talk about it. Mm-hmm. I know that she can just go, oh, okay. She can look at it kind of clinically and be like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Third party, just like, I'm not going to engage. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm getting better at that. Like, because um, I'm much more sensitive to people's energies. I'm probably yeah. more of an empath. And so I used to take it on. Right. And Mm -hmm. then I would define myself by it. And now as I can sit more in this compassionate observer seat of my life and just watch it and be like, oh, isn't that interesting? They're telling me a lot about themselves now. Now, and I can do that outside the house really, really well. I can do it pretty well with my husband. My teenage daughters is a whole different story. Yeah. And, and when I was facilitating a training down in San Diego a few months ago, um, one of the, people in the training had asked, well, why are you good with your husband, not with your kids? I'm like, I've had a long time to practice. Right. You know, like you said, when you live in the house with somebody for 17 years, you have a lot of practice. You know, my husband, I've been together for, I don't know how many years, that's too much math, like 22 or 23 years. I've had a lot of practice. So the things that used to trigger me, I've worked through and I'm really calm and I can have my boundaries. You know, where with my kids, one of the triggers can be just like you can go into dress rehearsing tragedy I can do the same in the sense of, oh no, you know, I'm becoming that mom or I'm becoming that thing I didn't <laughs> want to be or, or we're not going to have this tight knit relationship, right? I define myself yeah, in that moment. I always get afraid of that. Like, yeah. oh no, now we're going to grow up and not, and she's going to grow up and we'll, we won't be close and I'll lose her forever. Mm-hmm. And that's rooted in fear, mm-hmm. shame, fear, shame. Yeah. Scarcity. Frame. It's yeah. Re- frame, frame, frame. <laughs> For shame. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so when we know that and it's like, oh, our best selves don't then don't come up because when you get scared that your daughter is not going to be close to you in 10 years, 15 years, what do you do? How do you act? Buy her shit. <laughs> is that wrong? <laughs> There's no right or wrong. Right? There's no right or wrong. Unless you're paying the bills and you're like, oh my gosh. Well, I know exactly. Wow, I'm overcompensating a lot this month. <laughs> <laughs> but in the other side is that, you know, and there's no right or wrong. But is, and is that the result that you want to have? No, of course not. You don't want your kids dependent on you or, or not depending on you, but like uh, coming to you for money because they know that you're a softie because you feel like that's the only way you can be close with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What What is that that we want to teach them about? how they can get stuff, right? Guilt us, make yeah. us think that we're a bad parent. And then then it's like, ooh, come in for the kill. <laughs> totally. And then get that thing that I've been wanting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you definitely, I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> it's the- I mean, I have. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I have. I've, I've been like, well, let's go shopping. And then that always kind of perks her up and she feel, she then talks to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, but I mean, here's the thing. I think parenting's so hard and there's all these parenting books and stuff, right? But how do you actually live it and implement it? Right. And, and that's where I just give myself permission that I'm screwing it up and I'm, you know, doing the best that I can. And how can I circle back? And right. What can I, you know, in the way so that I can be in that if I'm, because if I get in shame, I either... I either, we've talked about this before, I either hide away or I go all inner gladiator. So both of those are not good. They're not helpful. Right. Well, it is such an interesting thing with these, these teenagers. Because it just is a reminder that you, you think, you think when you have them and they're all cute and little and dependent on you and fun to be around. <laughs> You think, oh, I was meant to have this family. It was meant to happen. But then you realize, oh, no, no, they just chose you as a conduit to come into this world. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you're there to facilitate them being people. Mm-hmm. Yep. There's my dog scratching on the door. It's there- all right. Well, you can replace your teenager with a dog. <laughs> <laughs> unconditional love that's what we've done (laughs) i uh there's a guy from i think brentwood prep school down south is that the name Mm -hmm. of the school he's the that's quite a school yes mike Mike riera he's the dean there and he was been on my show and i loved what he had to say he there's only two people i know that think teenagers are brilliant one is my husband and the other is mike and he talks about connecting with your teenagers and one of the things that he says is that when you're Kid, when your child is little, you are the manager of their life. You manage every aspect of their life. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And then in their tweens, they fire you. Mm-hmm. And those of you go, oh, no, they're not firing you. He, he, he says, no, they fire you. And if you're lucky, they will invite you back as their consultant. <laughs> That's true. Mm-hmm. So, how That's you, so true. How you said about facilitating is that there's that consultant piece, right? You're not telling them what to do. You are facilitating or you're their yeah. consultant and you're giving recommendations and then they have the power 
to either make great decisions for themselves or ones right. that they're, that could be costly. Right. Or anywhere in between, I guess. It's very true. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the part of the thing that is so scary about being a parent because you can't be with them managing every aspect of their lives anymore. Mm-hmm. Nor should you be. It's weird. Mm-hmm. And logically, we know this, but then when it actually happens, it's like, oh my God, feels like my heart's being ripped out through my spine. Yeah, that's vulnerability. Yeah. <laughs> so just recognize that, right? Um, mm-hmm. Who is, oh, I always forget her name, but you do the, you do the, uh, the promos for the show Scandal. Carrie, Wa- mm-hmm. Carrie Washington's uh, character, what's her name? Oh, Olivia Pope. Olivia Pope. Like I mm-hmm. used to thrive on that. I was like, miss, fix it. Let me fix it for you. Let me take away the pain. And a lot of times I think the fixing it was for me, it was my approval whore. See how wonderful mm-hmm. I am. See how you need me. And interesting. It, and I think a lot of the times with parents with teenagers, I deal with a lot of parents of teenagers is, you know, they get so worried that this, what their child is going through right now is going to define them later in life. Right. And, and I, it's like, how can we not let that define them and say, you know, believe in that there's, they will actually turn out all right. They're figuring things out right now. Right. Right. And well, and the fix it thing to me always feels very logical. Mm -hmm. It's like, Oh, if there's something you can do to fix your situation, let's just fix it. Mm-hmm. Because why put up with anything that you don't have to? Mm-hmm. And um, so I get the whole fix it thing. Mm-hmm. And then that's, I don't know. It it tends to annoy people because mm-hmm. they don't necessarily want to fix stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, going on that walk with my husband, I would try the whole like, oh, okay, well, let's just problem solve your bad mood and then we will fix it and then you'll be in a good mood. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> well, do you like when people fix things for you? Hmm? Do you like when people fix things for you? Try to fix things for you? No, of course not. I I, I do have one friend that I can call and we we do problem solve. Like if it's something and it's totally coming from a place of this thing is stuck in my craw and I want to get it out. Mm-hmm. But I'm I feel a little bit stuck and we talk we always talk it out and mm-hmm. but I I, I used to, 20 years ago, want to call up and complain mm-hmm. and vent. Mm-hmm. And now I don't want to do that at all. Why? Because I don't want to feel bad. Because complaining and venting doesn't get you anything. Mm. It just makes you feel worse. Mm-hmm. So now I know that I can just kind of get over things for the most part myself. And if I'm stuck, then I'll bring it up. So here's my question for you. Mm-hmm. Are you burying it or are you owning it but you don't need to verbally vomit over people oh i'm definitely not burying it okay so you're feeling it you're knowing what it is but yeah. you just don't need to vomit on other people's yeah. well i mean no i don't vomit it anymore no <laughs> i well, do and also too part of it comes like i just take things way less personally than i used mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. so it used to be like Oh my God, can't believe her. She says this, she says that, like, blah, blah, blah. And mm-hmm. now it's just like, if I have an interaction with somebody who is not fun to be around, I'm, I can, I think that's part of aging is that you're like, oh, I know I didn't do anything wrong. Mm-hmm. You've got an issue. I'm not going to hang out with you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And just I, who cares about the gossipy stuff, I mm-hmm. guess. 
You know, that's what's fascinating. I was talking to um, a friend a few weeks ago and lives in a totally different community. And it was like all this, I mean, and I love this person, but the community that she's in with all the gossiping. And I was like, wow, I just don't have that. But I think I've been really deliberate about cleaning that part up. You know, I just don't do it. I'm really particular about the people that have earned the right to hear my story. And I'm also not interested in, you know, in bad mouthing other people. But I used to be, you know, it felt really good. um, in And it was like, I felt really good, like in a binge eat kind of way. You know, you're eating. Yeah, it it, does. It does feel good in a binge eat kind of way, which we all know ultimately does not feel good. Yeah. And now, it's like a in the moment thing, but then afterwards you feel horrible. You feel really horrible, and and now it's interesting because I've been in situations even this week, and I know I've done a lot of good work for myself because I was like, wow, that person's really telling me a lot about themselves, and I didn't take it on. I mean, they were trying to blame me, and I just was like, oh, isn't that interesting? Well, I even like that quote. That person's telling me a lot about themselves mm-hmm. instead of having to make it about me mm-hmm. and oh they're mad at me or there's a thing or why is this tension here or whatever that's that's cool I like that mm-hmm. and you know the empath thing is huge and I didn't realize it until very recently because like I don't or I don't like to go to concerts I don't like to go to Target or the grocery store after 10 a.m. you know when things get really kicking mm-hmm. I don't like Traffic, you know, I don't seem to mind that so much because I'm in the little bubble of my car. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And also, I like playing the smile game in traffic. I always do that, and it seems to work most of the time. Is I like, I send smiles to everybody, and I imagine everybody sitting in their cars smiling, and for some reason, that always seems to clear up the traffic. Oh. Yeah. It's like a weird, it's a weird woo-woo trick. Try it. (laughs) Try it sometime when you're stuck in traffic. Um, So... But but realizing the empath things like walk for instance walking into an audition waiting room mm-hmm. was always super tough, mm-hmm. and mostly because I would I would be like I would feel the these people want they have hopes and dreams and they want the job too and everybody's here to do a good job and and then I would get panicked because I'm like but it's only one job but there's like seven actors in here you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And they all want it just as badly. Mm-hmm. And I would really feel, and I, now I realize, oh, you were picking up on that. That's something mm-hmm. you were picking up on. And now I, I know to like really protect myself and not, because I'll, I'll, I'll let that boundary slip. Okay. So let's talk about that before we go. How do you protect yourself from other people's energy? What do you do? Besides the stuff that we talked about earlier in this conversation. Protect like- myself from people's energy. It's tough. Mm-hmm. Because you go out there in the world and and you you know you bump into people you know physically and metaphysically mm-hmm. and you interact with them, so like how do you protect yourself from like a rude you know server or cashier or something or how do you protect yourself from I, personally this is gonna sound really woo woo again I do a lot of work early in the morning to set my tone for the day because. Uh-huh. It's not like, okay, I'm super happy this morning and I set it up and I feel really great. But it's not like I'm going to, I know I'm not going to like maintain that level all day, but it sets enough of a tone where I don't, I don't dip. 
mm-hmm. as much as I used to, like nearly as much as I used to. Mm-hmm. Not as susceptible. So that to me is one trick that I do. Um, if it's something like an audition or an interview or a meeting or whatever, or even a job, I set intentions before I even get in the car. Mm-hmm. That things go smoothly, that I feel good, that I have fun. Mm-hmm. I think about each segment of my day. I know, and I know this sounds like woo woo, but these are all tricks that I do to not like get sucked in to stuff. Mm-hmm. Or like, for instance, if I'm on a, a session with a client and it seems like they're kind of getting micromanaging and picky, and they keep over directing, mm-hmm. um, that's a perfect example of like, don't get sucked in. They mm-hmm. they have their own thing going on <laughs> because I used to either be like get annoyed or I'd be like oh I must not be good enough because mm-hmm. that's why they're directing me they they're not getting the performance they need or somehow they made a mistake um, they thought that I could handle it for my audition but obviously I can't handle it mm-hmm. so there, there there are certain things that like I've had to do over the years to be like it's all right you're enough everything's good it's not an accident you're here for a reason. Things are working out. Mm-hmm. I think that thing that you talk about, what you do in the morning, is because what you're doing is you are making a deliberate choice of how you want to feel yeah. throughout the day. And that's yeah. the most empowering thing. And when people, and I hope the listeners get that, is that you can choose. Now, life's going to happen and there's going to be this or that, but you get to choose how you feel. Yeah. And doing it first thing in the morning, I think, is really, really helpful. It's like the grounding that you have. Right. And then the other thing, like even when you're talking about the car and, and smiling, I mean, that's an example of Jill Bolte-Taylor talking about uh, be responsible with the energy that you bring into the space. Right. So everybody else is, you know, in traffic and there you are smiling and playing the smile game. The cost to you is much less than if you're like, it shouldn't be this way. Why are all these people here? How come people can't move? They're so stupid. They don't need to look at the train wreck, right? All of that stuff that I can even feel my body drain from. Yeah. Well, and I think too, uh, it's I, I learned from the Abraham Hicks material that w- one who, one who's connected is more powerful than millions who are not. Mm-hmm. Whatever you want to say is that connection. Like you said, the the source energy or God thing might bring up some bristling in people. So I don't mean to do that, but basically, one one who is connected with the whole of who they are. Let's say that one one who feels good in their skin one is is more powerful. Mm-hmm. Than a million who are not, so that's kind of the that the theory behind the whole traffic game, mm-hmm. and I, and and I kind of just, you know, you're in traffic a lot in LA, so you have to come up with different games to entertain yourself. Mm-hmm. And there's only so many podcasts and audiobooks and radio shows and iTunes playlists. Eventually, you move through all of them, and you're like, all right, well, now what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. Let's play the smile game. <laughs> Um, one of the other things that I try to do, especially, you know, uh, I know I mentally do this when I go to the pool because walking in, I never know what crisis is going to happen. Or if I go and give a talk and I speak or I'm giving a training where these are people that I don't know. Mm-hmm. As I start to mentally get, you know, it's it's not armor in the sense where I armor my heart. But I put a shield. And so for me, water is really soothing, obviously, all these years by yeah. the pool. But um, a girlfriend, a good colleague, a good good girlfriend of mine, she's also a colleague, she had taught me about, you know, putting, um, you know, those water walls. I think they have them like a Disneyland. It just shoots up and it's like, it's like a wall of water. Like putting that bubble around me so I can see through. 
but things don't come at me, right? Mm. And people's energy, because a lot of people don't know about being responsible with their energy. So if I put that up there where I can see them and I can be with them, but I don't have to take on their energy and that part becomes really important. And so whether people are listening, going, Corinne, you're talking really weird. This is from Jill Bolte Taylor. I mean, she talked about this on my show about how we are all connected and she's a Harvard trained neuroanatomist. So it may sound woo woo, but I like when there's a researcher out there that kind of can show the science behind stuff. Right. I really like that. Mm -hmm. I, I would like to ask her about this next time you talk to her. Okay, now this is this is definitely going to get woo woo to people. So I've been doing. I will talk. I won't go into detail about it. But I've been doing learning a new healing modality mm-hmm. and becoming a practitioner of it. And in doing this, I've been practicing on folks. And mm-hmm. the things that I'm seeing when I go into a meditative state when working with the people is incredible amounts of energy swirling around people. Mm-hmm. And, and it is beautiful. It's so beautiful. Like it's, to me, undeniable, the positive energy that we have swirling around us waiting, just waiting for us to tap into it. Mm-hmm. And then not to mention, you know, whatever. Let's just talk energy right now. Mm-hmm. Not even like beings or God or anything. Like it's just energy. And, and so I, I've now seen it with so many people then I'm like, I realize, oh, I have that same thing that mm-hmm. I just need to tap into. Mm-hmm. So that to me is one reason why meditation in the morning is also important. Or whenever mm-hmm. meditation, whenever you can, is really important because then I, because, and I feel lucky that I've had this experience because I have seen it mm-hmm. around people and it is there. So I, I'm, I'm curious. Now for, to hear, what did you call her? A, a neurophysicist? Neuroanatomist. I'll send you the interview. Neuroanatomist. Inter- I'll send you That's the interview. That's cool because I have seen this energy and I know basically, oh, all we all have to keep, do, all we all have to do is stop doing that thing that keeps blocking that energy mm-hmm. and then everything will have, you know, we'll have the power of the universe at our backs, you know? I think we have our next show topic. <laughs> now we're getting into it. <laughs> I said we weren't going to, but here we are. <laughs> well, we can even talk about Abraham Hicks and then go yeah. from there. So, yeah, good. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, Anna, thank you so much for coming back. Thank you. It's fun. It is fun. <laughs> so now we're we're going to remember our wonderful swirls of energy all around us. So when our teenagers are cranky, mm-hmm. we'll remember their wonderful swirls of energy all around them. Absolutely. Thank you. As you heard. Anne and I, we go through this. We all, we are all in it together. There's this, and it's called common humanity. You are not alone. And just as we were talking, you heard me go into my own shame storm of, oh no, I didn't have the right answer of how to answer what to do when everybody else is in a bad mood. There's no right or wrong answer. Give yourself permission for common humanity and that you're doing the best that you can. And part of it is, committing to compassion and allowing yourself to screw it up, circle back and practice some more. One of the other things that Anna talked about was the traffic. And we didn't have time to talk on the conversation about it, but Martha Beck has this great tool called the three B's, like B as in boy, the three B's. And what Anna does is a version of bettering it. So Martha's tool is you can uh, bag it, not do it, which if Anna needs to get to a job, that's not going to happen. She can barter it or buy it so she can have somebody else drive for her 
or she can better it and she chooses to better it. And notice that when she makes that deliberate choice of smiling, it becomes a game. So she's still in the same situation, but the cost to her is less. And so when you realize you get to choose what you create, it doesn't mean that there's not going to be traffic there because that's like the weather's business that we're talking about. The traffic will be there, but how do you choose to let it affect you? And I had a previous guest on the show and we were talking about traffic actually once before. And he said, you know, when somebody goes and cuts you off, we will sometimes, there's that life or death situation. And then we want to go and chase after them and let's show them and how that they were wrong and put our own lives at risk because of their irresponsible behavior, driving behavior, then we drive irresponsibly. And one of the things that I remember taking away from my conversation with him was catching our feelings instead of reacting to our feelings. Learning to catch our feelings is so critical. And then finally, it's about, you know, the idea of Jill Bolte-Taylor. We are all connected and be responsible for the energy you bring into the space and be careful to not let those those others hook you into somebody else's energy. Instead, you get to choose how you want to feel. So that's changing because when you're an approval whore, we really want to, oh, how can I make them happy? How can I get them out of the pain? Or not even that, when we're in our ego of how can I show how my worthiness, right? Instead, we want to go back, how do I want to feel and holding the space for somebody else. So creating and choosing how we want to feel and then shielding or grounding ourselves. And another method of grounding, we talked about meditation. I talked about the water, uh, right? Another way is some people like to stand on grass and connect to the earth. Some people like to connect with trees and sit in the trees or be near water. And I know when I was in Chicago last summer, I, there was all the commotion that it's my favorite city, but I wanted to see water because I knew it would soothe me. And so my girlfriend and I went, we were walking back to our hotel. I saw the water walk, uh, river walk, and I walked alongside of it and I could just, all the city energy just kind of drain out. So those are things that you can do to help you when you're around people that are not feeling good. One of the ways that you and I can connect to my newsletter, because I really want to connect with you, is to join our community at howshereallydoesit.com and sign up for my weekly newsletter to get even more great resources to create a life you love, plus some insights from me that I only share in the emails. And you never have to worry about missing a show because I'll send that to you as well. A special thanks to Anna for talking about these things. I look forward to our next conversation. If you like what you're hearing, please let me know by heading over to iTunes and leave a rating or a comment there. And it's time to do a shout out to six-year-old guy for taking the time to leave a comment on iTunes. I know he worked really hard at this one. And I so appreciate the extra time and effort because it does help the show. There are directions on the show notes about what to click to write a review. So 60-year-old guy, thank you so much. Big shout out to you. And until next time, I'm smiling big for you. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wide away. Captured in